You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for May 10th, 2020, the fifth Sunday of Easter. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Peter Walsh. It's based around Mother's Day. So, welcome again to St. Mark's Episcopal Church, and I welcome uh, everyone who was born of a mother, and I Welcome everyone who was carried for roughly nine months in utero, and I welcome everyone uh, who was birthed probably in some sort of maternal discomfort. So I welcome everyone, all of us here to Mother's Day. And given that we all came into the world in the same way, though we have no memory of it, perhaps we really do have a tremendous amount more in common than we might think. And because we all came in this way, it certainly seems that there is something particularly godly about mothering and motherhood. Now, I must say that there is a strain of clerical snobbery that is not too keen with doing too much on Mother's Day in church. Uh, In some of my previous callings, I used to take a fair bit of clerical heat from my friends in the collar about wanting to emphasize Mother's Day, and their argument with it went something like this, hey, the last time I checked, you know, uh, Mother's Day is not in the church calendar, and by the way, it is a Hallmark holiday. And my initial response was always something like this, hey, last time I checked, Jesus had a mother, had a nice Jewish mother, and she's all over the church calendar. And what about every other mother that ever lived and who is living now? And oh, by the way, Mother's Day is not created by Hallmark to sell cards. As probably many of you know, Mother's Day in the United States got its beginning about 150 years ago with a woman named Anna Jarvis. And then in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson named it as a a national holiday, and all sorts of uh, traditions grew up around Mother's Day. Uh, One of the the, the big ones for uh, people in (laughs) our business is that it was a day when uh, very often people went to religious services. Uh, Certainly it was the day, is the day when the most number of people dine out. That's, uh, remember when we used to dine out? Well, Back then, it was a big day to dine out, and it is the day in which there are the most number of telephone calls, and those of you who can remember way back in the dark ages before there were cell phones and smartphones, and we use the AT&T landline, you will remember that on Sunday night, those landlines were, were so booked that oftentimes we couldn't get through to our mother to say Happy Mother's Day. So I welcome all of you to the Mother's Day stream here, and whether or not you're with your mom or you're with your mom in memory or whether or not you're texting your mom, we welcome you. And this day gives us a tremendous opportunity to, uh, to say thanks uh, to our mothers, to maternal figures in our lives, and also to uh, explore what it means to think about the motherhood of God. I want to begin by pointing out that there are many, many, many types of mothers. There are birth mothers and biological mothers. There's adoptive mothers and mothers-in-law and stepmothers and foster mothers and honorary mothers and mothers who bear the title of mother. Uh, And there are, of course, many, many mother figures in our lives. 
Yesterday, when I was gathering all this and putting the pieces and parts together, I, I typed in types of mothers uh, in Google, and, and my computer nearly exploded. And I, I started to click on these uh, different uh, video magazines, essentially what they were, about different types of mothers. And I wrote down some of them. They, here's just a few. The, the helicopter mom, the crunchy granola mom, the tiger mom, the exhausted mom, the tornado mom, the perfect mommy, the frenemy mom, the workout mom, the career mom, the breastfeeding mom, the phone mom, the whiny mom, the zen mom, the it's all about me mom, the unpredictable mom, and, and mom as best friend. I, I can tell you, that is just a smattering. There are, there are hundreds of these typologies. And when I got done, I actually was chafed. I, I actually was kind of somewhere between sad and mad about this naming of mothers. And after I started to settle down from those emotions, I, I started to look at it. And I realized that my first thought was being a mother is, is hard work. And it's very difficult. And none of us wants to be categorized. And if there was anybody who shouldn't be categorized, it is our mothers. Because as we all know, uh, mothers are many different things to us, depending on what we as children need or have needed, right? Nobody is just one thing at all times. And I also think it's very important as we launch into exploring motherhood to say that there are no perfect mothers, just as there are no perfect fathers. And we as children are, most assuredly, we can know, not perfect either. We're all just human beings trying to do the best we can do. And sometimes we're doing that, uh, taking care of children. I think it's also really important that we just name and claim here for a moment that uh, the assigning of gender-based characteristics uh, to male and female or to mothers and fathers uh, is, is a dangerous and dicey business. So we are, are, are culturally conditioned to believe that fathers uh, should be strong, loving, and wise. And we're also uh, culturally conditioned to believe that they may well be emotionally distant. Whereas mothers are soft and nurturing and caring, and emotionally present. This is what our culture talks about, sort of perfect mother and perfect father. And these typologies are, of course, uh, dangerous for all involved, uh, particularly the mothers and the fathers. And the truth of it is that none of us live in these little boxes of behaviors. And I know that in my own my own uh, household of nurture, my own mother, none of those boxes of behaviors made any sense. So many of you may well remember my mom. She lived uh, the end of her life in the Waveney Inn, which was on the grounds here of the church. And as her dementia set in, she used to, to walk and walk, and people would honk at her, and she gave him the old Queen of England wave, which she was really, really good at. Uh, and if you stopped her to talk with her, she would always say that you looked lovely. She, she thought everybody looked lovely. It was really, really beautiful. But I will say, as a kid, my mother was strong and loving and wise. Uh, she worked to provide for our family. She was also soft and nurturing, but she was tough. I mean, I used to tell my friends that if uh, General George Patton and my mother had the same number of tanks, my mother would have just beaten the pulp out of him. And my brother used to nickname my mom the Israeli tank commander. 
Now, I did notice yesterday when I was putting this together that it was sort of funny that my brother and I each came up with tank metaphors for such a sweethearted woman, but such was growing up in our household. I mean, when there was trouble coming down from on high, it was coming down from my mom and my dad was on the mop-up. So I say all that in that we all have, you know, uh, real mothers and real mother figures in our lives, and the reality of who mothers are as human beings is all baked in to maternal nature. And we have a primal need for maternal nature. We have a primal need for the best of maternal nature. Now we can all agree that God has no gender, regardless of the words that we use. And uh, much of the language we just heard was father language used by Jesus in the gospel according to John. See, we, we use this metaphor, metaphorical language uh, to speak about God, and out of that metaphorical language comes a metaphorical theology in which we think about God, and out of that, that language and that thought comes a metaphorical spirituality, which is how we relate to and with that God and that the biblical witness uses a whole host of metaphorical language to talk about the divine. I mean, we use governance language like Lord and King and Judge. We use service language like Shepherd and Watchman and Servant. And we use love and kinship language like Father and Son and Spouse and Lover and Mother. So. At their best, right, our mothers and the maternal figures in our lives are instruments of divine love, and they are also windows into the maternal nature of God. Now, if you have any doubt about what I just said, I hope you'll hang in to the final hymn and the final postlude slideshow, which are the faces of so many of our mothers. And I hope that you will look into those faces. Now, it reminds me of uh, a bit of a very famous passage, passage from the Apostle Paul in the first letter to the Corinthians. And I want you to listen to this. You may already know it quite well, but... For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall understand fully, even as I have been fully understood. So perhaps we might recast that a little bit to go something like this. In the maternal faces of our lives, we see in part into the motherhood of God. And after we die and look into the face of God, we will understand the maternal nature of God, and from that, we will understand ourselves more fully even as we come to understand that we are fully understood by God. Now, I, I, pray, I pray about my sermons, and I want to say always, but I certainly almost always receive some sort of response, and the response comes uh, oftentimes quite, when it comes, it comes quite rapidly, and it is in my voice uh, like a thought, uh, but it always feels like it's coming from outside of me, kind of like right up around here. 
And when I was praying about what should I talk about on Mother's Day, I always got the same response, love. Just one word. And I would say, okay, I got that. Okay, but what should I really, you know, what should I be praying, what should I be talking about in the Mother's Day? Love. And every time I would pursue that, I would get love. In other words, that was sufficient for me. Mother's Day is about love. And so all of the metaphorical maternal language for God that we use has its basis in love. To speak of motherhood at its best is to speak of a love that is so profound that it has no words. It has, it has no bottom to the well. It is that deep. Now, we all have an, a tremendous need for this kind of love. We have a tremendous need for unconditional love. In fact, the, the thing that cripples most people most often in the world is not what we attend to sometimes with our safety nets. It's lack of love. The lack of love is completely crippling for a human being. It says in John that God is love and that we might posit in this case that God is maternal love. I was raised to believe that all men and women were created equal. My parents shared everything equally. I never saw anything in our household that would lead me to believe that men and women were not equal. In fact, I, I realized that I not only thought they were equals, I thought they were essentially the same with some obvious differences, right? Well, then I got married, and that was in my subconscious, and then my wife Jennifer got pregnant, and then I realized, aha, men and women may be equal, but they are not the same. In fact, they're, in certain cases, wildly different. And as they say in Anglican bishop circles, uh, women are <laughs> they're more equal. Now, I must say, I was dumbfounded by uh, Jennifer's first pregnancy. I simply, this sounds dumb, couldn't believe there was a baby in there. That, that seemed kind of wild to me that there was a baby rolling around and, and you would see like the baby was kicking and all I could think of was uh, kicking a goal, kicking a soccer ball and elbowing and all I could think of was, you know, creating elbow space when you're boxing out underneath the hoop. And I, I just want to say what is, again, wildly obvious, and that is that the, the mother's experience of the baby in utero is so categorically different from man's, from the from a men's experience is it's two different worlds, right? So uh, that that uh, the mother has a deeper and a full-bodied experience of the baby, right? They carry the baby. They're in the same body. They they share the same food. They share the same vital fluids. They share the same blood. The baby kicks, and you feel it. the baby is literally living off the mother's body. I mean, I have, I have incredible respect for pregnant women because they are giving of their life so that another might have life. And this is a wild physical and emotional and mental undertaking, and it is spiritual, it's theological, 
uh, being pregnant with a baby is a godly undertaking. To become pregnant and to give birth is an act of incredible self-giving love. It's a godly act of self-giving love because self-giving love is the very nature of God. That's how the Trinity uh, that a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work. So the Father gives all the love that the Father has to the Son, who gives all the love that the Son has to the Spirit, who gives all that love back to the Father. And it goes in a loop of love. And that loop of divine self-giving love spills out, causing the creation. Now, I must say that uh, our language around creation is very, very father-centered. We say in our, uh, in our creeds, the Nicene Creed we're about to say, we say in our creeds that the Father uh, is the creator and maker of heaven and earth. But that is not how it is on earth, right? Uh, on earth it is all about the mother, right? There's <laughs> any, any, uh, uh, any confusion about that, just go to the birthing ward, right? Any man who's ever uh, seen anybody uh, give birth, any woman give birth, has incredible respect for that woman. I mean, I must say that many of the fathers that I know said things like, man, I'm, I'm glad we were able to get a pass on that one. And the first time I ever went uh, and saw a birth, I was utterly and completely dumbfounded, right? I was horrified and electrified. I was horrified by the pain, and I was electrified by the miracle of babies arriving in the world. Our first child was born at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in New York, and when we got there, there was no room at the inn. Uh, all of the women in labor were on gurneys in the hallway, and from the rooms that were along the hall, I could hear, <laughs> I could hear all this screaming. It sounded like we had arrived on a ninth floor torture chamber, and I was undone by it. I was a wreck. Jennifer, who was giving birth, by the way, was completely cool and calm. I was not. Uh, it was wild. But you know, in that case, it really is kind of quite biblical. I, I mean, let's just take a look at how uh, Adam and Eve were formed, right? Theirs was also a pretty earthy uh, birth. Uh, uh, God went into the garden and made a mud pie, a, a mud-shaped Adam and blew life into Adam's nose, and Adam means earth being, and then uh, needed companionship, and so God went to Adam and uh, put him, made him asleep, and took a rib out of him and made Eve, and then in addition to that, I always say that that was the first cesarean birth, uh, we have from that time, as it says in the book of Genesis, Mothers giving birth in pain, right? And it is, it's an earthy thing to be there. I mean, uh, women will laugh at me, but uh, what I see is pain and contraction and a lot of fluids and sweating and moaning and sometimes screaming. And it is, it's a very fleshy affair, right? It's a bloody, fleshy affair. 
But I must say, I became intoxicated by it. I couldn't get enough of our having kids. I just love the whole birth process, the earthiness of it. Uh, and in fact, I mean, after five kids, I was thinking, well, maybe we should have one more. And luckily, Jennifer had the wherewithal and the smarts to say, I think perhaps we're done here. Uh, but I want you to know that every time I saw one of my children born, or every time I see a child born, I have the same reaction. And Reverend Elizabeth talked about it with me on the phone the other day. It, it, it's almost like an epiphany, and that is that uh, I knew that God so loved the world that the divine allowed another baby to come into it. That baby, completely vulnerable and so beautiful, coming into the mixed-up world. It just is. It's an act of love by the divine, which is overwhelmingly beautiful. It's sublime, really. And it's one of the reasons that I love this little passage from the mystical theologian Meister Eckhart when he posits, what does God do all day long? God gives birth for all of eternity. God lies on a maternity bed giving birth. I must say the first time I heard that, I thought, oh, so painful, but so beautiful. So, of course, the mother's work doesn't end just after having given birth, right? I mean, nurturing and rearing a little baby is not for the faint of heart. It is delightfully exhausting. And I have this one particular memory of a time when one of our kids uh, was small and was very sick and was uh, on uh, his mother's shoulder. And he was just barfing wildly. And, and, and Jennifer was, was covered in, in throw-up, as my mother used to say. It was one of the most beautiful things that I have ever seen in my life. Because maternal love is a love that can be barfed on and come out not smelling like roses, but come out with the utter beauty of earthy love. It's just absolutely spellbinding. There is an incredible irony in all of this earthiness, this earthy love, and that is that it points toward the divine. All this mothering points toward the divine mothering. See, we all need God to be a divine mother to nurture us uh, with a love that knows no bounds, right? We all need to be held by the divine mother. We all need to be loved without reservation, to be loved without requirement. We need to be loved for who we are, for the odd shapedness of who we are, for for the weird things that we do. We need to be loved when we are unlovable. We need to be loved when we're not successful. We need to be loved when we're not happy. We need to be loved when we're not doing what we're supposed to do. We need to be loved when we are failing. We need this divine parenting to never, ever, ever let us go. And we need to know that. We also need to pause periodically and give thanks and pray for our mothers and all who mother in the world, remembering that it is a hard and complicated task. 
And so this morning I would like to end with an ode to mothering written by the poet Amy Young to try to, in some sense, hold all of these mothers and maternal figures that we know and even those that we do not know. So an ode to mothering. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experienced loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We do not mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you long for it to be. To those whose step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who placed children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. May God bless you. You can find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.